0: pack radio get excited y'all
2: Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling advice, and the home of the beta-ranked college football statistical model. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian Conger, and it is March. We have finally hit the postseason. Thank you for tuning in last week to our preview of The Preview, where we went through Pac-12 basketball and where we were in the middle of the basically the regular season as we ended into the postseason here. Thanks for following us on Twitter at 12-Pack Radio. Again, you can subscribe to the podcast on any podcast uh catcher apple podcast TuneIn radio you name it we are there we're going to vegas max and i are going to vegas with some friends from wildcat radio too so that's very exciting if you're going to be in vegas for the pac-12 tournament let us know as long as you're healthy if you're healthy let us know if you're not healthy don't let us know and um we are going to break down the pac-12 tournament bracket and talk a little bit of football news but we're going to push football to the end because basketball is king now that it is March and I am joined as always by the master of Pac-12 gambling Mr. Max Meyer what's going on Max?
0: Uh, I, I'm excited I have to admit I prefer conference tournament week in terms of gambling and being in Vegas than I do NCAA tournament week so I am I am
2: pumped. And while he is not an advanced metrics guru in the basketball space, he's starting to become one. Uh, the, and that's Mr. Rob Bauer, <laughs> the, uh, the CEO behind the Beta Ray College Football Statistical Model. What's up, Rob?
1: Uh, not much. Pretty excited. I got the schedule file for 2020. Oh, nice. Today from the uh, folks that I've made college football data from. So uh, this is a total aside. We are going to talk basketball, uh, but. If you go to Bader, if you go to Sharp College Football right now, you can look at your season, uh, your team season win totals.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Um, and we'll make sure to push that out from our Twitter account. Let's get into it. Before we start with the the bracket, we have a couple contests, one to announce and one to uh, basically sum up here. We did our Colorado football coaching hire contest where everybody sent in who they thought Colorado was going to hire what years or how long the contract was going to be in terms of years and the full amount. And of course we ended up with Carl Durrell at $18 million for five years. <laughs> 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 so nobody guessed Carl Durrell, but a Lannister always pays our debts. What we were giving out is um, any, any team, Uh, Any fan of the podcast that sent in their guests, regardless of what school they were a fan of, we were going to send them a free customized whiskey glass of their school. And we're down to two. We actually um, have a tie here because nobody ended up picking Carl Durrell. Surprise, surprise. But some people got really close to the pin and we wanted to make sure to follow through on what we uh, added. And so the two people that tied were Brad Pate Johnson, who picked Alex Grinch, so got that wrong, but he got the five years correct, and he said $17.5 million which is really darn close. So he is a finalist, and he ties with Mr. E. Monster, who picked Eric Bienemy. obviously not uh, didn't end up being the finalist, but he also picked five years and $17.5 million. Dollars. So in order to break this tie, we're going to do a, a good old-fashioned bracket off. So, guys, you have until uh, the first day of March Madness, Mr. E Monster and Mr. Brad Pate Johnson. Remember, a, a, a stipulation of this contest was you gotta listen to the podcast. Um, Hit us up on Twitter because that's how you submitted your picks. Um, let us know that you listen to this, and we will give you both a bracket. And whoever does best will get that whiskey glass. So boom, that one's out of the way. Second thing is we're doing a Pac-12 tournament bingo contest. Bow bow bow. And I've put together a bunch of bingo cards. Some of them have Bill Waltonisms, and some of them have statistics and a Bobby Hurley technical. Uh, really fun. That, that we did this at Wildcat Radio last year, and it worked super super well. And a lot of people had fun watching the tournament and coming along. So if you would like a Pac-12 bingo card, we will send you one. All you need to do is retweet this podcast or any other Pac-12 podcasts that we send out this week. Retweet them. We will send you a card. And the winner, um, I went on to Etsy where I'm getting a lot of my prizes. There's some really awesome Uh, pictures and paintings of your school. And if you follow us on on Wildcat or on 12-pack radio, um, I sent an example of it. It was the Utah Stadium, Rice Eccles, and it's just gorgeous. So um, we will do that for whether you're a Utah fan or a UCLA fan or a USC fan, whatever school you go to. If the first person that gets bingo, we will send you like a really nice piece of artwork for your team. I think that's all the announcements we have, guys. Let's talk about this bracket. Max finally came out. Oregon's the first seed, UCLA the second seed, Arizona State the third seed, and USC comes in at the fourth seed. They all have the Thursday buys. Uh, but taking the whole bracket into consideration, what were a few things that stood out for you right away? Sure. So
0: the, um, there's one side of the bracket that is definitely much stronger than the other side of the bracket. So I think that the UCLA-Arizona State side of the bracket, completely wide open. I can see teams. like so UCLA, they're the two seed and Cal Stanford is the 10, seven and Arizona state's the three. And then Washington state, Colorado is the 11, six Stanford is going to be favored over UCLA. Assuming that Stanford and Colorado take care of business, Colorado's going to be favored over Arizona state and Stanford's going to be favored over UCLA. <laughs> so that bracket is completely wide open or that side of the bracket is completely wide open. And then on the other side, You have, um, Oregon as the one seed. I don't trust USC as a four seed, but I think that the 12, five matchup in USC's, um, uh, pod is Washington, Arizona. And both those teams are really dangerous because Washington is just coming off of a desert sweep and Arizona is the most talented team in the entire conference. So when I was uh, doing my uh, futures betting for this conference, I think that there are definitely there was val there was one team that stood out to me as strong value currently, and then there was another team that I that was ridiculously priced uh, like two weeks back that I jumped on as well.
2: And what were those? Let's let's just get it out in the open. Let's put our cards on the table, Max.
0: Sure. So I took UCLA twenty two to one. Ooh, to the oh Texas my gosh! Tournament, yeah, like that, like that price. I don't think UCLA is going to win, and I I think. Uh, um, when I was looking at Ken Palm, he has UCLA's, um, tournament win expectancy, at like five, 6%. And so I think if you could get any, if you could, I thought that UCLA 15 to one or higher was good value, but I'm not seeing anything, uh, higher than 10 to one now. So I, I wouldn't take UCLA now, but when I saw 22 to one, and this was when UCLA was pretty much either going to be a one or a two seed. And that basically meant that they weren't going to face Oregon until the final. And Oregon, even though they do have their issues this season, especially on the defensive end, Dana Altman in a tournament setting, when you have quick turnaround and his matchup zones and mixing of defenses is really, really tough to prepare for. That is a team that you do not want to face or be on the same side of the bracket as. And so and UCLA was already going to lock up a buy. So I thought that 22 to one was tremendous value at the time. And I'm seeing anywhere from six to one to 10 to one right now
2: for UCLA. Hey, Max, let's and go. Then, oh, wait, wait. Before you before, actually. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, go with the, that second pick. And then I want to talk some strategy about hedging and, and money line rollovers and stuff like that, because I think our listeners will be pretty interested in and in how you approach some of these tournaments.
0: Sure, and then the one, and then the team that I took today when the odds came out, I took Colorado plus six hundred, because like I said, they are on the more wide open side of the bracket, and I think that they wa- they match up well with the top teams in that bracket, being Arizona State, UCLA, and Stanford. Granted, UCLA did sweep them this year, but I think that Colorado has the size um, to at least kind of i guess make ucla honest because ucla is the top offensive rebounding team uh in the conference but then colorado also has the edge in guard play um and I, I i personally just can't see ucla beating them three times uh if that ends up being the semifinal matchup and then but first i mean they play washington state and you figure that colorado is going to be pretty close to a double-digit favorite in that opening round game and then they play arizona state uh, if they make it to the second round and this is an interest, this is actually an interesting fact. So Colorado has beaten Arizona state twice and neither of those games took place in Boulder because <laughs> <Yeah>. Colorado <laughs> beat Arizona state in Tempe and first game of the season, they beat them in Shanghai. So with all the road struggles that Colorado has had, at least that, There's a um, a level of confidence that they've beaten Arizona State twice and it hasn't happened in their home confines. And then Stanford, uh, that's the other team. And I think Stanford's really talented, but they're on the younger side and they don't have a lot of depth. And Colorado does have depth. And one of Stanford's biggest weaknesses is rebounding, and that's the strength of Colorado's. So I think if those teams were to meet, uh, in the semifinals, I'd give the edge to Colorado, and Colorado would be favorite in that game anyway. So basically, I am banking on Colorado. I think Colorado is the best team on that side of the region, and I'm banking on them to make the final. Or that's who I expect to make the final. Now, granted, I also have UCLA 22-1, to so I'm, I'm rooting for that too. But I think between UCLA and Colorado, those are the two teams to me that have the best uh, – that have the best chance of advancing to the final on that side of the bracket. So I'm glad to have future uh, bets on both of them.
2: Nice. And let's get into betting strategy in a minute, but cause I want to hear Rob, who are some of the na- the matchups here and some of the teams that stand out for you as we go into Wednesday.
1: When I'm with, I'm with max. I like Colorado on that side of the bracket. Um, it's tough. I mean, it is tough because there's a lot of really inconsistent play in the pac 12 right now. So um you know, if you if you had to pick anyone, of course you're going to pick Oregon. But I mean, as Max pointed out, Arizona's the most talented team in the conference. Washington, however, has some also has some great freshmen that may be putting it together later. Um, you know, USC just knocked off UCLA. I don't. Know. <laughs> I I like. Uh, I do like even with that late loss. Um, I'm with you, Max. I like UCLA uh, a bit too, especially, I mean, that, that number that you got, that's a, that was a little crazy. Um, I don't think if you are going through and looking at, um, advanced metrics right now, I would definitely stay away from looking at the net. Um, and with Ken Palm, I would just keep in mind that it's, it's, I don't think it is weighted enough temporarily to be picking games as accurately as you'd like. Um, Coming into this, so I'd say even Ken Palm probably has UCLA underrated right now. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it, at this point, I mean, I guess if you look at the bracket, it's certainly Oregon's Oregon's to lose uh, in there. But I mean, ASU's not. I mean, they don't have. They they also got the only national television guaranteed national television in the in the bracket, (laughs) but they uh, they're not in a bad spot um, with getting you know, potentially getting Colorado, uh, a team that they've already faced three times. Um, And then, you know, UCLA, you know, a a team that uh, has turned it on late. But I don't know. There's you could you could you could talk me into near anyone behind Oregon, I guess.
2: I'm I'm curious to hear um, whether. Well, actually, it's funny. Max because you have basically a pick that is a futures bet and you have possibly one that you, that could have maybe been a money line rollover although it's pretty pretty close to um, the border there. I want to talk into the strategy about that here but first we should talk about The Athletic. Today's show is sponsored by The Athletic, a subscription based sports news site for real fans. Through in-depth coverage and local writers on every team plus national writers you already know like Jay Glazer, Mike Sando and Michael Lombardi. The Athletic is, getting a, is setting a new standard for for sports news. There's no ads, no pop-ups, nor clickbait, just great sports writing that tells the story behind the story. Get exclusive player profiles, deep dives on analytics, team power rankings, and fantasy sports insights that you won't find anywhere else. Each subscriber gets a personalized feed of stories, live writer question and answers, which is awesome, and more just download the Athletic app. App, pick your favorite teams and the athletic will begin surfacing the latest on the players and storylines that matter most to you ready to get started get 40% off a yearly subscription to athletic.com overtime that's right go to athletic.com overtime to get 40% off your subscription which is an awesome deal and Max, let's talk about the difference between futures in a conference tournament. And this kind of goes towards the NCAA tournament as well. Um, and the difference between that and a money line rollover, because I think it's starting to get to the point where you're getting more value if you're rolling over your bet uh, after each win. So w- what is that strategy?
0: Yes. So it's, it's basically you. So, for instance, for Colorado versus Washington State, uh, so Colorado will probably be around maybe a minus three fifty, minus four hundred money line favor in that game, and then you bet Colorado there, and then after you or if Colorado beats Washington State, then you roll over your winnings and you place it into the next game. So Colorado versus Arizona State, where Colorado will probably be a slight favorite, like maybe a three point favorite or so, two and a half maybe, and then at like minus one sixty, and then after that if Colorado beats Arizona state, you roll over your winnings to the semifinal. And then the, the thinking is, is that for some of the, uh, for some of the favorites is that you're going to get better value or even, even some of the longer shots too, that you'll be able to get a bigger payout rolling it over versus just taking the futures price, especially when there are some books that offer really sharp lines and there aren't a lot of value and there isn't a lot of value, uh, in the actual futures market for that conference.
2: What I've noticed particularly with some of the smaller conferences is that those middle tier type of teams that sh- that could go on a run tend to be priced at a at a lower Um, Amount, So you're not getting your 20 to ones, your 30 to ones, you're getting like six to one, where if you actually map out what their likely path to the championship is, you're going to get a better value if you're just doubling up every single time you win, rolling it over, basically. Um, But when you have a team like UCLA at 22 to one, because hot damn, Max, that that is a legit ticket that you have there. Um, that also builds in some opportunities to hedge if you really wanted to play it safe and lock in some profit. How would you do that?
0: Well, I guess for me personally, so if UCLA and Colorado meet in the semifinals, I'm not hedging UCLA. I'm, I'm just going to take whatever I can get into the finals. And then if it's Oregon, if I get Oregon, Colorado, and that a spoiler alert, that's what I think it's the final's going to be. I think Colorado is a very legit shot to beat Oregon. I mean, the, the line would be, the line would not be higher than three. And if I were to hedge it, I'd probably try and attack it live. If I could, especially uh, right before the half, because I think Dan Altman is the best coach in the conference and he, and he could definitely get the upper hand on, on Tad Boyle with halftime adjustments. And if I get Oregon at plus money uh, live, then that would be a good opportunity to hedge. But yeah, I, I guess the fact that I have two futures on the same side of the bracket, it, it kind of throws things off for me unless one of them goes down early.
2: Yeah, the idea would be, you don't want to ride or oh, you can if you want. Some people ride or die. You know, you have a twenty-two to one ticket. Well, you know, yeah, it,
0: I was about yeah. So if I have if I if UCLA meets Oregon or even even Arizona, if if UCLA meets Oregon or Arizona in the final, then I would de- or yeah, then I would definitely. Um, take or take some money and put it on or some of my potential 22 to one winnings and put it on Oregon slash Arizona money line. So that way I would make a profit no matter what.
2: Have you used this in the NCA tournament? This is something that I've seen our friends at the free ball and podcast do uh, bang the book radio does this sometimes where like, let's say, you know, let's talk about the the NCAA, the full sixty eight teams. Taking well, I was
0: about to say. Well, I, I have an example from last year that I did, and, and it still really hurt, even though <laughs> I was able to successfully hedge. But I had Auburn a hundred to one and fifty to one to win the tournament last year, and I I, I did like very little um, on Kentucky uh, or against Kentucky, and then Auburn won that game to vault them into the final four, and then with that since I already lost some, or I lost a little on the Kentucky money line, but I also thought that Virginia was, Virginia was the best team in the country that year. And so I put a good amount of it on Virginia, but still I I had to leave um, enough an amount over in case uh, Auburn made to the final, because then I would have to hedge it to get a total overall profit for whether the Auburn original futures cashed or if the championship championship uh, team that Auburn was facing if they won. So when Virginia – I mean, Virginia got fouled in the final second and they made both – free and Kyle Guy made both free throws for the win. And I, I, I did, like, profit a good amount from it just because the Auburn numbers were so nice. But losing that Auburn – losing both those Auburn tickets was just really painful because that was a team that, you know – it was, it was a fun ride, and, and I'm convinced that they definitely could, should have beaten Virginia that game.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that game was crazy town. I remember watching it at a bar in, uh, in Newburgh, Oregon, going wine tasting. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Like, So it does get complicated sometimes. So a good example, let, let's say that um, you put $10 on Auburn, you know, 100 to 1. So you have a chance to win $1,000. So the idea is as Auburn moves through the tournament, there's times where you can bet on the other team and just kind of take away some of that profit. So let's say you bet $10 and they make it to the Sweet 16 and you put $50 on a team that, um, you know, $50 that they were going to lose to another team. Let's pretend the odds are, like, even. Um, and Auburn wins anyway. Well, that takes $50 out of your profit, but you still have, basically... Um, $950 in potential profit to make. So you can eat away at it slowly if you want. You can pick your spots, but it just gives you a lot to work with as the tournament goes by. So I tend to like doing this with some of the teams that are on the borderline to make the tournament. So, like, you're, I mean, Northern Iowa is kind of a bad example now because they lost in the first round of their tournament. But like in Eastern Tennessee, I think I got at like 500 to 1. And is Eastern Tennessee going to win the tournament? No. But now I have a substantial cushion of cash. Um, to work with as they make their way through the tournament I get hedge in the first round if they're like an 11 seed or a 13 seed or a 14 seed And, um, and, you know, basically I have a thousand dollars to work with. Um, and I, I think I put like five bucks down on them or whatever. Um, so it's just, it's, it's another way to look at the tournament and to be able to bet on it and to cash in on some of these teams that you're pretty sure are going to make the tournament. And then you have this big bucket of money basically that you can play around with to hedge, hedge against it. I know some people like that. Some people don't. It sounds like Max, you use this a little bit more um, than I had anticipated, which is pretty cool.
0: Well, I was gonna say like with the it's it's really dangerous to do it with those types of long shots because I would advise like for me, my rule for the NCAA tournament, if I have futures if I'm trying to hedge out, I usually don't even think about it until the sweet sixteen. Because if your team if let's use your eastern uh, Tennessee uh, for example, like if you're already hedging out of it in the first round and eastern Tennessee wins their first two games and, and you and you're and you've already lost some of the money that um, some of the potential money, uh, especially because in the first two games, you're likely betting the favorites. So you're, you're likely betting on, on somewhat heavy juice uh, against Eastern Tennessee. So that's when it can really start to pile up and things can get out of control. And then you're, and then the losses that you've already suffered are already higher than the price of the ticket itself. And, and you don't want that. So if you want to do, um, if you want to do those hedges, just be extremely careful and make sure that you don't let those debts build up. Yeah. So that yeah. way, so that way you end up as a loser all around.
2: No, that's a good point, point. and like that's why I, sometimes you want the the bigger cushion to be able to kind of roll. Yeah, but like anyway, it's it's an interesting strategy to to use as you move through the tournament. And it's a good way sometimes to lock in some profit. Does any of that make sense to you, Rob? Like, would would you be on board with with using that type of strategy, whether or not it's a long shot or like a team that has a pretty good chance, like Auburn?
1: No, I, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, I think hedging your bets, if you've got something going, absolutely makes sense. So um, you always want to distribute risk.
2: <laughs> well, let's go into the bracket here and we'll start at the top and let's go game by game and, and walk through where this tournament is. And, Uh, The first game is going to take place at noon Pacific time on Wednesday, and that's Oregon State that came in as the eighth seed, and they're on, uh, not on the road, Uh, they're playing Utah in Las Vegas. Uh, Utah came off of an interesting win at the end of the the season to at least put a little bit of a happy face on. uh, Really, I know it's a young team, Max, and it seems like a team that you're pretty high on moving into the future, but this year it doesn't seem like they have it. Do you think they have what it takes to beat at least an Oregon State?
0: Uh, so yeah, I, I, think Utah really like young and they have some intriguing pieces and I was saying on the pot, like I think next year is their se- next season. They're going to be top four in the PAC 12 good, but I just, I struggle to see it this year. Um, because I mean, it's just that with Utah, their defense is really, really bad. <laughs> I mean, they allowed the highest, uh, three point percentage in the PAC 12, uh, uh, third-worst uh, two-point uh, percentage on defense. Uh, they don't really force a lot of turnovers. The one strength, the one thing that they are good at, which is actually a good thing against Oregon State because of how many fouls that uh, Trey Tinkle uh, draws, is Utah's defense doesn't foul that often, uh, which is uh, definitely a strong point. But I guess with Utah, or I mean, I should say, I guess with Oregon State, like, I like, they don't have a lot of depth. And I think that's gonna catch, and I think that's gonna bite them when they have to play like their second game in two days or or if they somehow do like a third game in three days. But with their first game, they're rested. They, they're, uh, they have the veteran presences of senior Trey Tinkle, junior Ethan Thompson, senior Kyler Kelly, and that's a really strong big three. And, and with especially with Kelly um, manning the paint, it's gonna be really hard for Utah's slashers like Timmy Allen and and Booth Gotch to uh, get easy looks around the rim. And I just think with Tinkle and Thompson on the offensive end that they're going to have a lot of fire, that they're going to have a little too much firepower for the Utes to handle. So I think Oregon State, I'm thinking that they're going to be around, I'd probably say a a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and I would lay the points with the Beavers in that one.
2: Okay. And two squares on our bingo card, by the way, again, if you retweet the podcast to get a free bingo card, win some sweet artwork for your school. Um, Kelly Ford, uh, four or more blocks in a game is one of the squares. And we had Timmy Allen scoring more than 20 points in a game. You can check off one of those squares, Rob, any word from you on Oregon state versus Utes? <clears throat> I don't win max.
1: I'll take the U here. I mean, it's, it's a battle for NIT seating between these two teams. So um, I think uh, I think Utah's got it there. Max's point on uh, Oregon State's lack of depth, I think, is really true.
2: Mm-hmm. Moving down the bracket, we have Arizona playing Washington revenge game, which is freaking weird. Um, <laughs> Washington goes down to Tucson and beats Arizona by about five points and, and just a, a weird game uh, in general. And it just seems like Sean Miller has lost control of this team, Max. I'm curious what you think. I mean, on a senior night in Tucson, at home, um, and it just was a weird vibe uh, throughout the game. Anyway, there's a revenge spot here. Arizona, I would argue, is the more talented team in this game. Uh, Washington, though, certainly has some players that can hang around. Curious what you think.
0: So I am really hoping we get these negative Arizona um, narratives heading into the tournament. And I, I'm also seeing like a few people say that Washington at like uh, 50 to one is like a real – maybe even lower. I saw like a couple like 30 to ones as well. It's like one of the better values in all the conference tournaments. And I I think Arizona is going to win this game. And I guess my main reasoning is that – so Mike Hopkins – Jim Bayheim, disciple, he runs the 2 3 zone, even though they have done a little bit more man this year at Washington. But it's kind of, until you uh, play against the zone, it could definitely be like, I guess, a shock at first because it's just such a distinct defense. But the fact that Arizona just faced this 2 3 zone, I think, favors the Wildcats. And I mean, yes, they did struggle, but I think seeing it that second time around, in less than a week is going to be extremely helpful. And then looking at the game itself, I thought one thing that Arizona did in the game that was really uncharacter- uncharacteristic of the Wildcats is they had 18 turnovers and they turned it over 25% of their possessions. And on the year they're at, they're at 16.7% uh, turnover rate on offensive, oh. possessions, which is top 50 and so I don't think that especially with Nico Mannion uh, under the controls, like the fact that they just saw this zone, I, I don't think that they're going to turn it over nearly that high of an amount. And I think that that definitely played a huge part in why they lost at home. And yeah, so I, I think, I think Arizona, but again, like I thought Arizona was a nice buy low spot at Pauly Pavilion uh, a week ago. And that, and that blew up in my face too. But, yeah, I, I think I'll go with the Wildcats in another by-low spot here, and hopefully they come through for me this time.
2: Yeah, Rob, certainly the talent, some negative vibes coming out of the program. Arizona started off real hot. I think they were 9-1, and one, end up the season in conference in uh, a few games after at 11-11 and 11 with losses yeah. just to some baffling teams in the conference. And, I, I get, and then you have Chase Jeter, who's suspended, and you had some issues with Josh Green not being in uh, playing a few games um, as somebody that watches the program. It does seem like he's lost control of the team, but the talent is still there. So they've been able to win some impressive games in addition to the baffling losses. You know, they were able to beat Colorado. They were able to go on the road and, and actually do more damage than most teams in the Pac-12. So the talent is it can be there. And I like Max's idea of, you know, facing Washington, you know, like three days later and just yeah. being up in that zone. Although I would argue when they went to Seattle, they basically lost that game. Now they won the game, but it was really, really close and caused a lot of heroics at the end, which was a positive sign at the time. But looking back, Washington kind of has had Arizona's number, but, uh, but it does seem like this is a, uh, a team that has the talent to be able to move past the 12th seed in this tournament. What do you think? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think you, when you look at this Arizona squad, they had a, they had a real bad game. I mean, against Washington, it was not just Washington showed up and cleaned their clock. I mean, Max pointed out the turnovers, um, Dylan Smith was really their best offensive weapon in the second half. They really, I mean, put themselves in a hole and were unable to dig themselves out of it. Arizona is, I think, talented enough to really, they should be able to get by this Washington squad. Um... But after that, I mean, I don't know that I would have any faith in this Arizona team because I don't think I, you just get the feeling it, it feels like that uh, that DeAndre Ayton Arizona team that got uh, they got through a very very bad Pac-12 tournament um, and then got exposed for not really caring in the NCAA. <laughs> um, this this I mean, Arizona and Arizona's. Ken Palm, and I mean, there uh, there are some Arizona fans that like to point to the net rankings, and even some of the you know the Ken Palm rankings are holding up Arizona. I mean, they're really being held up by their performance against Gonzaga and Baylor earlier in the season. Um, that was a long, that was a lot of basketball ago, uh, and Arizona's not playing anything like that. They certainly haven't come together either offensively or defensively. I I would say the one watch out on that with, and you hit it on the head. Brian is that the, the Arizona really struggles with zone and they have for years. Um, you know, it's, you know, the, the joke was, I mean, like, you know, Sean Miller, like Sean Miller always like every time Sean Miller sees zone, it's like the first time he's seen zone. Um, there's, they, they don't always have a good answer for it. So Washington, I, I wouldn't expect this game to, to maybe be close. I, I do expect Arizona's talent to sort of, uh, and, and, Better offensive, I mean, generally better offensive coaching to to come through in the end. But um, it's a, it's, I I would not lay a lot of money, and I don't think a lot of Arizona fans would either, uh, because I think there's a lot of frustration given how the team finished. Um, We would not lay a lot of money on the Wildcats in this tournament.
2: The two squares we have for Washington Arizona is Sean Miller sweats through shirt and Washington opponent scores less than 65 points. So uh, a couple other squares to keep in mind there. Let's stick on the north side of the bracket and move through the, uh, to the champion on that side, and then we'll switch down to the south part. So in our matchup here, we, had, we would have Oregon against Oregon State. And Oregon State's played Oregon pretty close here, Max. Uh, what, what would you do if that was the matchup headed into Thursday?
0: Yeah, so Oregon. I mean, they're the Ducks. One of their big problems, and granted, I mean, they had uh, injuries on that front in the front court um, with Nafali Dante missing a good chunk of the season. But Oregon's interior uh, defense—it's not like it's pretty whatever for a Dana Altman team, Uh, and they also they give up their fair share of offensive rebounds as well. And while Oregon State, I mean, they have great size. They're not a particularly good offensive rebounding team. But I think with Tinkle and Kelly inside, um, that 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 could definitely pose some issues. And those were some of the issues that happened in Corvallis, I think. When, uh, I mean, the Beavers beat them by 10. And I'm, I'm just looking, yeah, Kelly uh, and Tinkle combined for 27 in that game. So, but I, I just, I, I just think like I was saying before with Oregon state's depth or lack of depth that that's going to really going to hurt the Beavs playing their second game in two days with such a quick turnaround. And yeah, I think, I think Oregon with Dane Altman having that, uh, having that extra day of prep and rest that the ducks should take advantage in that game.
2: Yeah. I'm a big believer in Altman. Like, I just think that he's the best coach in the PAC 12, this team though. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious what you think about Oregon this year, Max. It doesn't feel like a team that can go on a Final Four run, which is uh, I think it's high praise for Altman because he's had a lot of teams that, even though the the ta- like earlier teams, even though the talent wasn't quite up to par yet, because he was starting to build that program. He's bringing a lot of JuCos and transfers in. At the end of the year, almost all of those teams like man, like Oregon is humming right now. And Oregon won the Pac-12. They're the number one seed in the conference. But at least from my mind, there's something missing. I think it's the inside maybe a little bit, but I'm curious what you think, whether or not this team has what it takes to go on a run in the tournament, and if so, why? And if why not? Uh, if not, why uh, why you have some reservations there?
0: Well, granted, I mean, Oregon's on a four-game winning streak entering this tournament, and they are the favorite to win, so if they win this tournament, they'll be entering the NCAA tournament on a seven-game winning streak, and then people are going to be like, oh, it's it's that Dana Altman momentum again, so... No, I, I, I feel like that would definitely qualify for an Oregon run. But, yeah, I I personally think that there will be no Pac-12 teams uh, in the Elite Eight. And I might even go as far as to say the Sweet 16, depending on matchups. But I feel pretty strongly about saying the Elite Eight. Uh, I love Peyton Pritchard. I think that he is an assassin. I really do not trust any, uh, any of his teammates besides Will Richardson. Um, Chris Duarte is hurt. And that definitely is a, is a blow to the scoring, even though he has been inconsistent this year. I don't really trust them down low. Uh, and yeah, for as good as the Dana Altman coaching and Peyton Pritchard playing is a, as a duo, I just don't love the rest of what Oregon has. And, and their defensive metrics are not like a Dana Altman team at all. So yeah, I, I think that the Ducks, they are. I think that they probably are the, the team most likely in the Pac-12 to make. Uh, a run into the second week of the tournament, but I I, I just, I can't see, um, I mean, depending on matchups, like I feel like sweet 16 or second round or like round of 32, that's their most likely fate.
2: Yeah. Again, there's some really strong talent here. The coaching is there. What do you think the biggest deficiency is, you know, keeping Oregon from going past that second weekend?
0: Oh, it's the defense. Uh, They right now in Ken Palm, let me pull it up. They are 75th in the country in defensive efficiency. And just looking at Dana Altman numbers now. Yeah, I mean, like lat- last year, uh, they finished 13th in defensive efficiency. The year before that, when they didn't make the tournament, 98th. The year before that, 17th. The year before that, 37th. So usually Dana Altman teams, are they're really good at forcing turnovers, and and they're really good at, um, when they have like a strong shot blocker, like a, a Chris Boucher or, or or a Jordan Bell, um, and they don't really have that this year, and so and and, la- and last year I guess um, they they did have Kenny Wooten who was the shot blocker, and then they were really strong at forcing turnovers, and that really picked up impact pac play, and that just and especially with like Ehab uh, Amin up top, um, he was he was amazing at, at getting steals. But, yeah, this year they they don't have the same perimeter defense. They don't have that same top-tier shot blocker, and that's hurt them. And I just think that the, uh, the, the defensive end is going to be the reason why they have uh, an earlier-than-expected exit, I would say.
2: If you had Ehab Amin, the Egyptian pharaoh, on your 12-pack radio bingo card, you uh, can check that one off. Nice callback, even though it was only a few years ago. Uh, but it was definitely a, a really underrated role player for the Ducks. Let's get to the next matchup here, which would have been, uh, theoretically, will be Arizona against USC. And, uh, you know, things kind of <laughs> – if you're like a down-and-out Arizona fan and you make it past Washington and you have USC up next – that could be kind of uh, that, that could be a bonus here, Rob. I'm curious what you think.
1: Yeah, I mean, you definitely feel like if Air, if there's a team that Arizona could just get by it's the Trojans. <laughs> I mean even though they they just lost them out in LA I believe right they uh, they uh, you feel like if there's a team that's sort of like le- even less well coached despite the talent um, in the pac twelve it's USC than Arizona. Um, so they, they could I, I could see them getting past them. The, 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 it's a nice matchup for Arizona if particularly if Jeter can come back from um, being suspended in time for that game. Um, but Gettings has played reasonably well and Christian Coloco is uh, a decent defensive presence for Arizona there.
2: Max, you're the USC uh, savant here. It looks like Matthews has started to find his stride. Obviously, you have the big center down low, uh, you know, a clear lottery pick. Is USC starting to pick up the pieces uh, as it goes into trying to make a push into March?
0: I don't trust Andy Anfield at all.
2: <laughs> oh no. Um, and, and just looking at the game where
0: USC won, so USC won by nine points, but that was when Arizona didn't have Josh Green. They didn't have Max Hazard, so those are two of their better wings. And they also shot three of twenty-six from three. And USC only one by nine at home, so I, I just think that that game was a worst-case scenario for Arizona. And I think that they have more talent. I think that they're better coached, which admittedly is a low bar to clear. But and Arizona is going to be favorite in that game easily. So yeah, I, I would take the Wildcats in that game.
2: Okay. Let's move on to the final, or I'd say the semi-final here on Friday, which would be Oregon against Arizona. And uh, I trust Andy Enfield over Sean Miller every day of the week. But what do you think, Max?
0: You trust Andy Enfield.
2: You mean Dan Altman? Oh, sorry. Dan, 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 All Dan Oh, I might, my goodness blasphemy. I apologize. I apologize. I might have to bleep that name out just so people don't
1: I'm getting you an Andy Enfield t shirt just for that. <laughs> maybe, maybe like a coffee mug that's like says Happy Father's Day with Andy Enfield's picture on it. <laughs>
2: Uh what what do you think Max who, who uh, uh who do you think uh, wins that matchup against Arizona and, and Oregon
0: So it's interesting because these two te- these two teams have played two overtime extremely close battles this year and it, it's interesting because I I, I do think Arizona is the more talented team and you would think that Zeke Naji should get the ball like at least 50% of the time in that game because he could eat or- Oregon's uh, interior defense alive and I mean if this if there was ever a game for Arizona to get up in it would be this one like losing to Oregon three times in one year especially when the two uh, when the first two games were in devastating fashion but I, I I'm just I'm rolling with Dan Altman I'm rolling with Peyton Pritchard it's the coach that I trust the most it's the player on the court that I trust the most it's I'm getting the senior point guard over the freshman point guard So I'll go with the Ducks, but I I think that if that were to be the semifinals, I think that that's the game of the tournament.
2: Yeah, and keep a lookout for that spread. You know, if Arizona comes in as like a five-point dog or something. uh, No way. No, no, no,
0: no. No, it would be be like a two-point spread.
2: Oh, really? So you you think that they have? Okay. All right. Well, bummer. Um, Okay, so we have Oregon advancing on the other side. Let's get to the right side or the south side of the bracket, depending on which one you're looking at. But let's do it right after this. All right, we're back talking Pac-12 tournament bracket and headed up to Cal number 10. Actually, let's let's go down to below. Let's start with the highest numbers first. We have number 11, Washington State, playing Colorado. Max, I'm pretty sure we know where your thoughts here are on Colorado based on your 6-1 to ticket that you have on them. But any scenario that you can see here where Washington State and the nerd ball uh, craze takes over Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, Colorado has had a couple poor shooting uh, outside shooting games of late. So, if Colorado, like, really struggles from the outside, and admittedly, like, Colorado does have, uh, well, not really in Pac-12 play, but overall, I guess that they've fixed their issues from non-conference play regarding turnovers, and Washington State is really strong at generating turnovers. Um, But... Yeah, it's just it's tough for like I, I don't see how Washington State defense Batty and Tyler Bay down low and but I mean if and if Washington State I mean they shoot a good amount of threes so they're just not really good at making them so if there is like some shooting variance where the Cougars are on fire from three and Colorado can't buy a three then that then that obviously could uh, cause trouble for the Buffaloes but it's just I I, I think that it's uh, a tough matchup for the coup or like a really tough matchup. I mean, just looking at how, what they only played once this year, unfortunately. So small sample size that happened at Boulder, but Colorado, they won by 22 and uh, I mean that Washington state shot 36% from two. So just like nothing on the inside, which is like, I guess, kind of predictable. And then yeah. And Colorado averaged 1.16 points per possession. Yeah, it's just it's a tough matchup all around for the Cougars, I think. But I do, Kyle Smith has done a nice job year one. It's just this isn't the he hasn't had time to you know get his own recruits in, and besides C.J. Albe, it's just it's a really it's uh it's like a ragtag group of talent there besides LB. So yeah, Colorado I, I, should win this game handily.
2: Yeah. What a bummer that uh, I forget the player that transferred over to San Diego state and is just eating the world basically. Malachi <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it is just amazing what a change in coaching will do. And he, he was good at Washington state, but put him on a good team. And my goodness. Now you have a two seed going into the NCAA tournament. Um, the two squares we have here, CJ LB uh, getting a double, double and Tyler Bebe with a 10 rebound or more performance gets you a box rob who you taking in this game
1: give me colorado here i I think that uh washington state's like a year or two away i think uh, max is right there that it's it's he doesn't have the guys for his system yet but he'll get there
2: so max our center square on every every bingo sheet is cal loses uh (laughs) Which I'm, I'm hoping, oh. hoping doesn't happen, so we don't have to pay out this uh, this Etsy stuff. But uh, it's it's very likely. Although, I mean, the bar was so freaking low with Viking Jones that, you, like, you kind of just assumed that there'd be some uptick. How do you think the coaching staff at Cal has done uh, in their first year with this squad? That basically, you looked at that roster and you went, "Where on earth are the points coming from?"
0: I mean, Cal, uh, California. They won seven Pac-12 games, and that is at least double what I would have thought if you would have told me preseason. And not only did they finish seven and eleven, like they tied with Utah and Oregon State for eighth place in, in terms of records. So I, I think that Mark Fox did a really nice job year one. Best case scenario, I mean that roster. I, Matt Bradley is, is good, but I they're just it's it's just such a raw or. They're like so devoid of talent in Berkeley, and I feel bad, but they they, they won games. I mean, they they beat Colorado by double digits. Uh, they beat Oregon. Uh, they beat Oregon State. They beat Washington. They beat Stanford. They swept Washington State, and they beat Utah. I mean, like really impressive job, I I, I think. And if I'm being honest, like I, Mick Cronin won Coach of the Year. I think it should have been Mark Fox.
2: Oh man, what does the Fox say, Rob? We think Cal's going to come in and take it to Stanford or what do you think?
1: I mean, I, I like the Cardinal, I guess. I mean, I, it's, I don't know that you would really want to have a ton of faith in either of these teams in particular, but um, I'll take Stanford here. You know, I I think your max is right. Like Fox, I, you know, outperformed an exceptionally low bar uh, for the Cal bears this season, but Um, No, I I think Stanford wins
2: this one yeah nice creative hire over there you know it might be a little bit of a retread but like you mentioned Max it's exciting to see Cal be able to put a couple wins in that column and have a little momentum going into next year let's move on and I want to talk a little bit more about Stanford against UCLA because this is a team that a lot of uh, insider basketball people like and uh, I mean I think that the starting five is good I'm not certain about the depth Uh, with Stanford, Max. What do you think about this team? Do you think they have a chance at making the NCAA tournament? And how deep can they go in the Pac-12 tournament? Yeah,
0: no, I I think Stanford can make a run in in the Pac-12. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford ended up in the finals. I just think, though, so this team, Stanford's big weaknesses are, they are a terrible rebounding team. Like, they're 12th in the so they're last in the conference in offensive rebound percentage they're 11th in defensive rebounding percentage. Uh, they turn the ball over a good amount that they're 10th in offensive turnover rate, but they what they're really good at is they they are good at getting shots at the rim, which is why they have the top effective field goal percentage in the conference. And they're also good at uh, defending the rim. So uh, like and basically the Pac-12 is not that good of an outside shooting conference. And so for Stanford to be able to defend the rim that well is a huge plus. But the I guess with, with the side of the bracket that they're on, UCLA and Colorado are both really strong rebounding teams. And so that's why I don't love the draw for Stanford as much. But their freshman talent, I mean, Tyrell, Tally, or Tyrell Terry at point guard, uh, along with Spencer Jones, who's a stretch four, who really is a knockdown shooter. And they still have Oscar De Silva and Dajon Davis as their juniors. So Stanford has talent. They just don't have a lot of depth. And I think that their lack of size and their poor rebounding is really going to doom them in this uh, pod.
2: Do you think they have what it takes to get past UCLA? Because it just seems like UCLA's has their act together. They're going to have that defensive mentality. Uh, how are they at rebounding, by the way, uh, the Bruins?
0: Uh, UCLA is first in the conference at offensive rebounding percentage. Uh, let me look at their defensive rebounding, and their fifth in defensive rebounding percentage. But I mean, so De Silva is, so he's their tallest starter at six nine, but he's also he's like he's really thin, and um, so like the Jalen Hills and Cody Riley's like they're 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 much more bulky. Down low and and they're going to get their boards, so yeah, U, UCLA definitely has the edge there. And I'm it mainly like Stanford will probably be favored by a point or two in this game, or or at least open that way. Maybe better, maybe the betting public will just see UCLA's recent run and, and maybe make UCLA a favorite. But I just I, I like UCLA's size. Um, I don't really trust uh, Jared Hayes, the Stanford coach. I, I think Mick Cronin even though he has had trouble in the NCAA tournament and and we've definitely made fun of him on this podcast, but I still trust him. I still think that he's the most trustworthy coach in the game. And yeah, I'll, I'll go with UCLA. All
2: right, Rob, you going to move the tree forward here or uh, you want UCLA to make it to the semis?
1: No, give me Mick Cronin. I mean, Mick Cronin in conference tournaments, he's money.
2: I'm going to frame that. You want to talk about not, in, not, me, in, me not in the NCAA tournament, but Mick
1: Cronin, <laughs> as I recollect yeah, at Cincinnati, was pretty good in that tournament.
2: Uh, might make that a drop. Give me Mick Cronin, Rob Bauer, and just in here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move. to let's move The down. state of actual basketball. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Um, we have Colorado against ASU. And, Max, this has the this has the makings of an awesome game or the stupidest game in this tournament. What do you think?
0: Well, I am excited for Bobby Hurley versus Tad Boyle. Like, it, there will be fireworks. And admittedly, I was hoping for an Andy Enfield-Tad Boyle second-round matchup. That would have been the dream. But, uh, like I was saying, like, Colorado, they have Arizona. Like, I am really impressed that Colorado won in Tempe and Shanghai against these Sun Devils. And Arizona State, I, I think I said this, I, I think I said two pod, uh, two pods ago, when they were uh, at the top of the Pac-12 standings, but I said they were due for some regression because they were really lucky in terms of uh, quote-unquote free throw defense and their record in close games, like Arizona State during their, I think it was like their seventh game winning streak and five or six of their uh, wins came by five or fewer points. So Colorado, um, I, I, their inside-out combination of McKinley-Wright at guard and Tyler Bay uh, as like the do it all uh, forward is is really potent. Uh, Colorado's depth is strong, so that's why I'm not as worried about them playing their second game in two days as as I would be for Stanford. Um, and yeah, I, I mean Bobby Hurley, he's he's kind of struggled in these conference tournaments. Uh, I, I like um, there was the year where I think it was the eight, nine game actually against Colorado. If I, if I look it up quickly, where Arizona state, we thought that they were on the bubble and that they really needed a win to get in. And yeah, it was against Colorado and, and Tad, and Tad boy and co they won by 12 and Arizona state still snuck into the tournament. Uh, last year, Arizona state, uh, they lost to, was it Oregon? Maybe. I don't know, but the point is, is that Hurley hasn't done that great in, uh, in these Pac-12 tournaments. I mean, he's never even made it to the Pac-12 championship. And I, I, I like Grammy Martin a lot. I think that ever since Arizona state switched to having Alonzo verge off the bench as the six man and Rob Edwards uh, alongside Martin in the starting lineup that that's paid dividends. But I like the group that Colorado brought back. I like that. They've been there before. I mean, last year, this group made uh, a mini run because they upset Oregon State. And then they they gave uh, Topsy and Washington all they could handle in the semifinals. So, yeah, give me. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'm going to I'm going to take Colorado here again. And they're also going to be favored in this game, which doesn't hurt either.
2: OK, I I I don't know why. I would have ASU moving forward. I think if Remy Martin gets hot, it makes things really difficult. I think they do have some talent. I'm with you on Hurley not having a great track record in terms of moving his teams forward in any tournaments, and uh, uh, including the NCAA tournament. But, um, well, I was about to say,
0: like, la- last year they were really close to knocking out Oregon. And then the Ducks wouldn't have even had uh, a bid to the NCAA tournament. But then... They just completely unravel in the final three minutes of the game and lost in overtime
2: yeah I just feel and maybe it's because I follow too many Colorado fans um, but there is a sense that uh, Boyle has started to uh, i mean I think people like tad Boyle, but th- there's there's some bad vibes coming out of Colorado fans about this team and their performance headed into this tournament um, and just dropping too many games and I could just see them getting smacked by an ASU team that gets hot so. Um, I don't think I'm going to bet this game, but let's. Uh, I'm curious what you think, Rob.
1: Uh, I, I like Colorado in this game. I think that they turn it on and get it done versus the Sun Devils.
2: Okay, well let's move them forward against UCLA, and that would be a fun game. Colorado UCLA um, Max. This would be this would be Debbie Downer because you got two tickets going against each other, but you know <laughs> at least get to catch this one of them. This would not
0: be this would not be Debbie Downer because that would mean that I would get at least one futures ticket in the final. That is
2: true. So I am t- totally
0: fine with that scenario um for me like kind of a similar so so i guess it's kind of hypocritical just because i had colorado who beat arizona state twice uh being them a third time and then with and and same with uh oregon arizona i have oregon uh or beating arizona for the third time in this tournament so ucla has swept the season series against colorado i don't think the bruins do it a third time here um, I just I, I like Colorado's talent more. I do think that Colorado has the bodies inside to match up with UCLA, and I I just think that this UCLA team now has a target on their back versus uh, being I don't want to say camp, but they they definitely weren't as known or or they didn't have as big of a target on their back just because they were thought to be a mediocre team heading or in the early part of the Pac twelve. Uh, conference season and I like Mick Cronin a lot especially in conference tournament settings like Rob was saying but I just Colorado was the team that I thought um, I, I had them second in the Pac-12 uh, standings this year behind Oregon I was real I, I felt I was higher on, on the Buffaloes than most I just I, I really like this team and I'm gonna I'm gonna have Colorado over UCLA, even though I would be fine with either of those teams making it to the final.
2: Okay. He's got Colorado over UCLA, Rob. Can Mick Cronin just throw so many, so many rocks at the heads of <laughs> all of these Colorado players and make this the most intolerable game you've ever seen in your life but to advance the, and I was
0: and, and, and I was and that's the thing, like Colorado with under Tad Boyle, they love playing in rock fights. <laughs>
1: that's true.
0: <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, that yeah.
1: This, this but I think Colorado is a, a efficient enough offensively to, you know, work through some of what UCLA is going to throw at them. But I mean, UCLA with defense and rebounding and, you know, Mick Cronin grinding it out just enough. I mean, I feel like that's enough to get UCLA through. They're playing really well down the stretch.
2: This is gonna be the Goldeneye from N sixty four. I don't know if you guys remember that game, but the slappers only version of the Pac-Twelve tournament <laughs> it was just 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 the worst possible uh, mode to watch. But all right, let's let's move Colorado forward. I've uh, Colorado against Oregon and I, I'm just a big Altman fan, so like my vote's on Oregon, but Max, is there a scenario where you can see Colorado overcoming Peyton Pritchard getting hot and, and some of that talented duck squad? Yeah,
0: I mean I mean Colorado So they split the season series uh, with Oregon. And they played Oregon really well both games because in the game in Eugene, it was actually Colorado was up by double digits in the first half before Oregon and and Peyton Pritchard and Will Richardson, like they started to roll. But, and then in the first game in Boulder, Colorado was blowing out Oregon again. and, And then Oregon... Uh, in the end, uh, made it a little bit res- respectable, and, and they lost by nine. But just with Colorado's physicality and, and their presence down low, I think that's a tough matchup for Oregon. But again, it's like, d- do I think that the Buffaloes can outlast Dana Altman? And, because there is a definitely a, cl- a clear coaching advantage in this game, and, and it's to Oregon. But yeah, no, I- I'm going to go with Colorado to win the Pac-12 tournament.
2: Okay. Colorado, Rob. Are you on board with that? Tad, Bo- can, you, can you imagine Tad Boyle shaking Larry Scott's hand as like the five Colorado fans boo him? <laughs> Not Boyle. <laughs> yeah, they're booing Larry Scott, by the way. They're and, <laughs> and
0: also, Tad Boyle, he's won four games in four days before in Vegas.
2: Or actually, what,
0: or actually was that in Los Angeles?
2: Oh gosh. I uh, think that
0: might, I think that might've been in Los Angeles actually, but he has done it. in. That was a college. long time ago then. Yes. Like if it was still
1: in Los Angeles, like that was a ways ago. That was like, <laughs> that was, that was before the, heat touched the ball game at the MGM.
2: Oh my goodness. Yeah. That oh my goodness. That that. It's amazing that he's been there that long. was has it probably been eight years?
0: Yeah. It's, it's been a while.
2: Okay. Um, Rob, are you buying in to come? Oh, the Roll Tad. Roll Tad is where they're going. Roll time. Tad. That's the big I,
1: I'm, 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 I, to come, I give in. Dana Altman has my vote. Peyton Pritchard, I think, you know, puts Oregon on his back and gets him across the finish line.
2: Well, the good news, Max, is if Colorado wins, you win, and you get to also gloat on the next week's podcast. So <laughs> so we're going to move <laughs> we're gonna into the championship circle, and um, it'll be a fun tournament. I'm really excited to look forward. By the way, we're going to be recording podcasts as the tournament happens, so stay tuned to 12-pack radio. Again, if you retweet the podcast, get one of those bingo cards. A couple more squares here um, when it comes to teams was um, – we had Utah scoring more than 65 points in a game. Remy Martin scoring more than 26 points in a game. Uh, Bobby Hurley technical is a square, so that will probably happen. Uh, a couple of other things. We have some Bill Walton-isms, and I'm going to throw this to you guys. Any any favorite Bill Walton moments from uh, his announcing of these past games? I have a couple, but I wanted to throw the floor open.
0: Uh, I don't, maybe Bill Walton making animal sounds. <laughs>
1: Bill Bill Walton talking like like talking about Richard Jefferson sleeping on his couch and then like that was pretty good and then the the like this like trash talk back and forth between them that was that was pretty memorable i suppose cuz yep. Dave Pash was like Pash was, like, trying to contain it and, and fully could not.
2: <laughs> he has that great look like they give on The Office whenever somebody says something, like when Michael Scott says something awkward and that look that they give to the camera, he has that down pat. I loved a few years ago when um, Alonzo Trier got busted for PEDs, and every time he scored, Bill Walton would go, take three of these, let's go, <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, and um, and uh, telling, uh, telling Dave Pash that they were literally standing up uh, standing beneath the Statue of Liberty uh, when it was like the, you know, the papier-mâché Statue of Liberty from the New York, New York. And that was pretty good. Uh, but really looking forward to him busting out. New artwork was one of our squares, too, where he draws pictures of Dave Pash loving Cole, even though I don't think Pash has ever said anything about Cole. Uh, just, just a real treasure, and I'm excited that he continues to announce the Pac-12 tournament. Guys, we are headed up on the hour mark, but I do want to give five minutes to the Colorado coaching staff um, hires that were made by one Carl Durrell. And actually, let's do it right after this. Colorado's bringing the band back together. Are you excited about this coaching staff that Carl Durrell has done with a $3.5 million a year budget?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, there's I, I, I want to be fair um, to Durrell, uh, because as as we've seen, you know, with both Mel Tucker, you know, who had to go out and try to to put together a staff and uh, you know with a even bigger budget uh, at the last minute, um, and then say like Arizona, which fired Rich Rodriguez late in the game last time in the Pac-12, the last time a Pac-12 school was really hiring this late, um, it's tough like to to get out there. But Chievarini uh, did not work out well at all as offensive coordinator his first time around. You sort of feel like it's more about keeping Chiverini happy and on staff that he's getting this offensive coordinator gig because he was apparently pretty upset he did not get the the head coaching gig. Yeah, I don't I don't think I, I mean it's a learning curve. Like everybody learns from their first time, you know, their first rodeo. So chiverini could be better. I mean, for that matter, Carl Durrell could be better, but uh, it was not not an encouraging sign for me when I saw that because uh, that offense stru- really struggled last season um, with Jay Johnson calling plays. I really, I but I don't know that Chiaverini is a, a better answer.
2: No, they were atrocious the year before. Now Chievarini did some fun stuff with Lavisca Chenault, but it seemed, and we've talked about it on the podcast, that the defensive coordinators figured out exactly what he was doing, like roughly yeah. halfway through the season. And Colorado had that awesome trajectory in the very beginning and then just nose dived and couldn't get anything done with LaVisca Chenault with a, a really solid wide receiving core. And of course, with the red bear himself, Steven Montez. So it, it'll be interesting. One thing max that stood out for me was there's going to be a passing game coordinator on the offensive side. Um, in addition to Chiaverini, which doesn't strike me as a reason to hire Chiaverini as the offensive coordinator, but that might be just because he wanted to stay at Colorado and that was the only way to keep him there. But curious what you think about the hire and kind of the split duties on play calling.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the split duties could definitely work just having,
2: or granted, I mean, if
0: if their ideas or if their philosophies clash, it could be a disaster. I I think for Colorado, that the more minds, the better, just because I'm a little pessimistic on the overall staff in general. And especially like when it was just Jay Johnson by himself running the show last season, I I wasn't thrilled with how the offense panned out, especially with all the talent that they had. And then it's not even just the coaching. Like uh, today it was just announced that the former Alabama uh, five-star transfer uh, defensive player, uh, Antonio Alfano, uh, he is, uh, suspended indefinitely. And that was one of the more optimistic, uh, things from this off season for Colorado. So I, and Rob actually has the win totals for the Pac-12. So I'm really interested to hear what he has for Colorado. But for me, I would be shocked if this team wins more than three games next season.
2: Ooh, Rob low bar, but, um, but Max is right. Not a lot of players returning. They did keep the recruiting class they had for the most part, minus Alabama transfer. Um, I want to get into the defensive coordinator after we we talk. With what's the win total here for Colorado? Uh,
1: let me pull it up real quick. I gotta check because I don't.
2: Include... Oh, Rob, I was tap dancing. Uh, well, no, I, I tap know, dancing. but I don't. Oh, inche-
1: oh. I had to check whether they're playing an FCS team next year because I no don't.
0: No, no no no. So they're non conference at Colorado State hosting Fresno State at Texas A and M.
1: Oh yeah. No, so so Colorado right now. I've got their projected win total as because they do play twelve FBS teams at under three and a half, um, and I've only got them winning a little over two conference games.
2: Okay, yeah, that's it's gonna be. It could be a rough year. Maybe you know, maybe Darrell turns it around. Um, maybe provides some leadership and stability there. One of the things that really stood out for me, though, is, was the increased salary pool. Now, granted, again, we want to be fair with Colorado. They they were given, like you mentioned, Rob, a few episodes again, they were given the hot potato, right? Uh, you're the last team to hire at the end of the end of the offseason. So it was harder to scramble and put together a staff, and we talked about how difficult it was going to be to put together a staff. With that said, Darrell had $3.5 million to play with, and ended up just bringing on Chivarini and then uh, basically retaining their defensive coordinator, who, Max, I know you weren't all impressed with last year. Uh, do you think it was a smart idea to keep him on?
0: Uh, I mean, I, I definitely would have looked for another candidate, but at least Mel Tucker uh, didn't <laughs> bring his entire staff, because that would have been really stunning if he would have brought over Tyson Summers and Jay Johnson uh, to East Lansing. But yeah, I mean, granted, Colorado did have some injuries there. Uh, defensive end Mustafa Johnson, who was their best pass rusher. But, yeah, the defense just got lit up so often. And I keep going back. Like, the one that I couldn't believe, and and I remember that this was the best bet for me, and you guys couldn't believe that the line was so low, was the Air Force game. And and Air Force was just moving the ball at will the entire game outside of turnovers. And that was the one thing that the Buffaloes were really good at was – forcing turnovers and particularly having really strong fumble luck. And I actually uh, saw on Twitter a stat that Colorado was the only uh, FBS team last season to not lose a single fumble in any of their games. So they were having really strong fumble luck on the defensive end and, and, and it's total opposite on the other side of the ball. And I think that there's going to be regression with the turnovers. And that, and that's another reason why, like I I think Colorado is going to be the worst team in the Pac-12 next season.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, there is some continuity in keeping certain members of the staff. I realize that Chivarini is a really good recruiter. Uh, With that said, it's not as difficult to pick off a coordinator from a smaller school than it is a head coach. And that was one of the things that we were kind of hesitant about is, like, is he going to be able to pull a coach? that is already existing at a lower conference over to Colorado because it's so late in the season. I don't think it's the case necessarily with the coordinators. I think you can throw an extra 500 K at somebody that's a young and up and coming uh, staffer and bring them on but they did not decide to go in that direction we'll see if it actually works out for them but um, I am less optimistic about Colorado than I was two weeks before um, and, or maybe even a week before after we knew Carl Durrell was the hire so could be bad times there in Colorado hope not it's fun when that program is good it's a beautiful stadium a good fan base uh, but we shall see guys anything else we want to talk about before we sign off here
0: uh i don't think so i think we're good yeah
2: okay all right well stay tuned later this week we will have another podcast out we will have the timing here uh shortly and we'll let you know and again retweet this get it, get one of those pac 12 bingo cards follow along with us we'll have more contests for the tournament by the way the ncaa tournament coming so make sure to stay tuned and we will catch you later this week